Well, it's good to have a little bit of a palate cleanser after that last episode. God. Uh, Okay, so this is a weird one for me to talk about. I feel like I say that a lot. (laughs) I mean it every time, I swear. Because this is an episode which has an absolutely ridiculous premise in order to get to three main points. And one of those points succeeds for me. Just the one. So I'm kind of like, I mean, this is nowhere near lamentation status. There's some good character stuff here, but that's about it. See, they wanted to go back to Terok Nor. They didn't want to do a flashback, and they didn't want to do time travel. So then they thought, it was all a dream is the best way to do it. Now, what I find funniest about this is, for years and years and years, even when this episode came out, people had railed against the it was all a dream concept, and for good reason. Now... What I find weird is what they appear to have done in order to level that out. Because rather than doing anything... Well, okay, let me rewind for a second. What they did was they made it a threat. They had, you know, modern-day stuff in the in the med bay as they're trying to figure it out. They find out about the plasma storm. They mention how, oh my god, if they get hurt in the dream, they get hurt for real. No! And this establishes the threat. If they die there, they <coughs> they die for real. You know, establishing that the stakes are real. I'm just going to go ahead and give my opinion on that. That's all a load of hooey. Because that doesn't mean anything. Oh no. Threat. Threat. You know what? You want, you want to talk about threat? Especially from a writer or a character perspective. How about threat of losing the respect and decency that you already had amongst a large number of people who were just recently calling you a hero? A legend. The one impartial member of the Resistance. They even start the episode... Not the Resistance, the Occupation. They even start the episode talking about that. And Odo's face is just... You can tell this is bothering him. You don't have to talk about threat. This is season five. We have established characters by this point. So we know with total certainty that Odo is a very private individual, even now, who values his pride more than most other aspects of his existence. He is not... If you don't know what I mean by that... When he was dying and needed to be taken to the Great Link back in Broken Link, not Apocalypse Rising, I kept saying it was Apocalypse Rising, but that's not good. In Broken Link, he could have just been put, laid down on a bed and carried, or tried to gelatinize down and be taken in there. There were several ways to do it, but all of those would have been humiliating. No, he's going to walk there under his own power, because Odo is an incredibly prideful person. That's not a complaint. That's not even an accusation. That is a statement of fact. It's been a very well-established character trait. So, in this episode, you see how far he goes. How way around he he endeavors to try and ensure that no one finds out the truth. Even once he's already figured out, to some extent or another, what's going on. He still refuses to tell the truth. And he is just... You can tell how much this is bothering him. René Bergenois does a great presentation of someone who's basically eating himself alive mentally and emotionally as he's just freaking out over this whole situation. Why not have that be the threat? Because that is the threat. The whole, oh no, they might die, that's bullcrap. This is Star Trek. That's not a threat. The permanent loss of respect and friendship, that's a threat. The change of the character's perspective of how much he may not be able to look at himself in the mirror the same way anymore, that's a threat. And, of course, I acknowledge how stupid all this is to say because this is Star Trek and this will never be mentioned again, but my point stands. 
Anyway, so the threat side of things, just compl- that's one of the three points, by the way. It doesn't work for me at all. The second point is the mystery. And a weirdly large amount of the episode, a weirdly large amount of screen time is dedicated to, where are we? Why are we looking Bajoran? Where are they? Why, why are they interacting with each other? There's this weird chemistry thing. Let's, let's set them up in these tables. Why, blah, blah, blah. They're just trying to deduce what's going on. Now, don't mistake me. I get it. But as we've seen before, even just in Star Trek, but in fiction in general, you don't have to show the deduction of the mystery on screen. All of that could have been in the background. How many times... I can think of two episodes off the top of my head where a, you know it's been like, oh my god, the character, the not sure what's going on, and they have to try and figure it out, and oh god, no, no, no! Shatter, shatter, shatter. And then at the end of the episode, we find out that the crew had been trying to figure this out the whole time and trying to reach them the whole time, and it's like, aha! Now they've reached them. In other words, basically keep the POV with the character who is trying to deduce it themselves. Now, that would still leave some of the what's going on stuff in the past, but that would be more stomachable. Every time the camera kept coming back to Worf and Bashir, it just felt like filler. Other than, of course, to establish that the threat is real, which I'm sorry I keep hammering on that point. I just hate it. It's a huge pet peeve of mine when fiction in general, procedural, or not, that's the wrong word, um... You know, repeating fiction, like a comic book series, or a video game series, or a television show, or a series of movies, goes out of its way to basically make the threat, the stakes, be real by trying to make it some kind of, oh my god, they could really die, or this might be the time they finally find. No, no jokes. How many of you have read those old comics? 70s and 80s were particularly bad about this. This carried forward into the 90s, too, though. This episode, someone will die. Later on, they had to start doing, this uh, This episode, someone will die. No jokes, no take-backs. This is real death. Just because it had already, already become so nothing. There's a reason I rail against the concept of the threat of the week. And I especially rail at it in this episode because, in my opinion, it gets in the way of an otherwise excellent episode. This is a great character examination of two major characters, Dukat and Odo. The only catch is, because this is, of course, all constructed of Odo's memories of Dukat, we can't actually use that with total certainty. And, as usual, there's some disagreement about Dukat. I suppose I should talk about that now. Several people, when this episode came out, and this is a recurring thing even into more modern eras, thought that this was an attempt to try and show another side of Dukat, basically graying him out a little bit more, making him less horrible. This was actually completely the opposite of the intent by the writers, most especially Ronald D. Moore, who was specifically trying to show him as actually more horrible than he already had been shown. Now, I point that out, because I, I rewatched this episode, just now, obviously, and it's very clear that, once again, this is going down to that disagreement about Dukat. Now, I've talked about this before. I've had a few people say, well, there's no disagreement. Dukat's a character... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the creators, the writers, the actor... And the directors all disagreed on what and who Dukat was. It shows, but more to the point, it's not just my analysis saying that. This is interviews, all saying different perspectives on the character. And having rewatched this episode, it's very clear that Mark Alema was taking this as a shot to basically gray out his character more, to show more depth to him rather than the petulant dictator, which was the intent on paper. So we have a direct contradiction between actor and writer in this episode, and this is not the first time that's come up. And this also is a problem that was happening when the episode was going live. Remember, several Moore in particular was really big about getting on like the AOL chats. You remember those? Getting the message, uh, the big old chat board, and it's a big old screen. And it's got this giant block on the right. You know, terrible, gaudy colors. And he would actually interact with the fans basically live. 
which was kind of a new thing at the time. And so for one of the first times, there was a lot of direct feedback, immediate feedback when it came to Deep Space Nine. Now, there had been feedback when it came to Star Trek because back in the day, fans would send in letters. I wrote in a letter for TNG. I know Mom wrote in some for TOS. How many of you guys or your parents ever actually wrote in letters for Star Trek? It's, you know, it's a thing. But letters aren't quite the same. This kind of feedback is important because it's important to note that the fans disagreed with the creators who disagreed with the other creators, and that is going to create a dilemma when we get to Season 6. And I'm continuing to point this out because it's, I need to establish my... I'm trying to show my work, basically, for, for something that will come up later. Anyways, so... Um, uh, so the threat didn't work. The mystery didn't really work for me. If I'm being completely honest, the character stuff, the character stuff is great. Now, you kind of have to have the mystery, right? I mean, think about it. You want to do a character piece examining Odo and the truth of what went down. Now, there's only a few ways you can do that. You can have it be pure flashback, which means Armin Shimmerman, Mark Alamo, and Renee Bergenois, and that's it. Everyone else at that period of time who isn't Kira, obviously, because she was around at this point in time. But she might not have been involved with this. So everyone else is going to be guest stars. Now, you can do that, but that's obviously very risky. And it's a pure flashback. And, well, again, part of the stakes here, the real stakes, not the stupid fake stakes, is the fact of this truth being revealed to someone else. So someone else has to be witness to this, this crime, this, this shame, this stain on his pride. So how do you build that in? I mean, there's science fiction-y ways to get other people into a flashback, and that's actually what they ended up doing. So I'm kind of with the vehicle, even though it's stupid and dumb and they waste too much time on the wrong aspects of it. I think the idea of a, what is effectively a shared flashback worked quite well for me. In fact, Voyager did this not too, like, just a few weeks prior to this in real life terms when it came to flashback and the whole, you know, uh, George Decay stuff with, with Sulu and the Excelsior. <sighs> Still wonder what it would have been like to get an Excelsior show instead of Enterprise back in the day. That's never happening again. That that ship has sailed. So, I'm kind of with the premise, and we see we see some interesting perspectives here. So first of all, Odo of course has perfect memory. I've actually mentioned this before, but we see this again here. Odo remembers all of these events so perfectly, despite being a solid, that he can recite facts off the top of his head. Now, granted, he was considering and thinking about all this, but my point being, that's the one interesting aspect that makes this better than a typical flashback. You know why? Because memory is fallible. I could... Like, it's, it's presumed that there's a real-life show about my life. It's, it's really a boring show. I wouldn't watch it. The lore hour. And in this, I flashback to getting run over by a car. Now, I will t I'll be the first to tell you, my memory of that event is not super clear. In fact, there are actual holes in my memory, which I don't know how to describe how that feels. There's just... Uh, and then I'm, that's all of a sudden I'm over there, and I know that some time has passed, but I'm not sure how much time has passed. You know, it's just weird to think of that. But if you were to, like, you know, and we see a flashback of that event, it will not be perfect. You will not be seeing an actual representation of what happened you'll be seeing a vague interpretation of what happened based on my memory. Make sense? This works better with someone like Odo, who has perfect memory. 
If he had been the one getting hit by the car, not that I would wish that on anyone, but you get my point, then we would actually see the events basically as perfectly as they actually were happening. Make sense? So that actually adds to the presentation, because what we're seeing is Terak Nor for all intents and purposes. So it works. Even though it's just a dream, it is a very accurate dream, to the point where we can take this as writ and actually treat this as truth. This is what actually happened. Point in fact, uh, Kurtwood Smith, who plays Thrax in this, who actually does an excellent job of playing Odo, actually, but Kurtwood Smith and his presentation all... You'll notice that the camera almost never strays from his perspective, even in circumstances where it probably should have. The only exceptions to that are little bits with Dax and Dukat. I could make a joke here, but I'm not going to about Dax and Dukat. Anyways, <clears throat> so you get my point. It adds more to the significance of it rather than just, eh, interpretive, you know. Now, Dukat... I want to talk about him briefly. He does presume authority. He flat out tells her to turn around, examining the merchandise. Wow. Then he immediately shows sympathy and concern. And he actually tries to spend some time actually basically reaching out to her. Now, we can infer all we want from that. And that's really ultimately my point. I think that we have the right to actually be able to interpret Dukat the way we wish to, rather than looking at what Ira Stephen Bear and Ronald B. Moore said and taking that as absolute truth. Because of the disagreements in the presentation, because of the looseness of how it can be interpreted in multiple different ways, because of the depth and dynamic nature of the character, which adds for multiple fractals, which can be seen at different angles, I think we have the right to interpret this in our own way. So what's your interpretation? I am legitimately curious, because, well, this is one of the only insights we see into Dukat during the occupation. Our second insight, actually, and not our last. So what do you guys think of Dukat during the occupation? Now, um, there's this really, really great scene where Odo just blasts Thrax. Thrax comes in, starts giving out just, you know, you're guilty of this, you're free to go of this, you're guilty of that. Just going down the line, very dispassionate, very cold, because he's Odo. And then he comes over. Odo just destroys him. Just absolutely tears his case apart. And of course, Thrax won't hear any of it, because, well, Odo didn't care, did he? But what I love most about it, one of the things I like most about Odo, as of when the show started, is that Odo is a very good detective. And in order to be a good detective, you have to be two things. Capable of seeing below the surface and being thorough. Odo has consistently portrayed those traits ever since season one. It's one of the things I like about his character, and I've pointed it out consistently over the last five seasons. So Odo, of course, is trying to show him and tell him how the more detailed facts don't line up, how the, there is a literal mountain of evidence that this is an incorrect conviction. But instead, the other Odo, can, you know, Thrax, can only argue about the surface facts. And as I've pointed out many, many times in real life and on my show, surface facts are almost by definition misleading. So, <laughs> Garrick, Garrick put it together pretty early, I think, and, and figured out that this was something to do with Odo. Quick, he very quickly and effortlessly identifies, oh, that's a guy who was here seven years ago, but that's Thrax, who was here you know, earlier than three, seven years ago. So obviously there's some problems here. Also, a very brief moment where Garak, you know, mentions his point about, ah, oh, Bajorans are more built for, 
for labor than us. I, I wonder if he actually means that. Like, I know that's a weird thing to say because Garrick's obviously the kind of person who doesn't say the truth often. And he's obviously in kind of a pseudo-joking mood, but does he really think Bajorans are better laborers than Cardassians? Anyways, <clears throat> I, I don't buy that personally. I, I think he is a little bit too much of a realist to believe in such a simple bias. But anyways, so then Garrick kind of puts things together. And what I like is that at several times, Garrick and Sisko both confront Odo, and he just consistently deflects. I've actually talked before about the nature of how certain characters in Deep Space Nine lie, the methods by which they utilize to lie. And Odo's method is always the same, to either flatly deny it, in such a way that it's obvious that he doesn't mean it, or to completely avoid the topic. And he's a bad liar in both cases. And that's what we see here. He is just, as I mentioned earlier, he is so bothered by this. He is, he is being torn apart by his guilt and his shame. Because there's both aspects to it. It's not just the fact that he doesn't want other people to see it, although that is a very prime motivator. That's the threat, like I mentioned earlier. But it's also the fact that he was just thinking about this, that these Bajoran people who call him a hero and, and venerated him and treated him so well, he didn't deserve any of that. At least, he doesn't think he did. He believes he was guilty. He says as much to Kira. The final denouement, yeah, I looked it up, between him and Kira is actually very powerful in its own right because of the nature of how he just flatly says, no, I'm guilty, there's nothing else for it. And she doesn't quite know how to take this. And, you know, a nice little parallel between the last time we took a jaunt back to Charaknor and learned something new about Kira. Funny fact, I mentioned back then it would be nice if that followed through in the future. I'm going to mention that again here because to my knowledge is never brought up again. It'd be nice if this was, you know, a little more contiguous, but what the hell do I know? Anyways, no, the real scene, and I, I wanted to mention this last, even though this is not the last scene. The real scene of this episode is Odo arguing with Thrax. Because, well, first of all, because René Bergenois is a good actor, and Kurtwood Smith is a good actor, and because it is quite literally Odo arguing with Odo. It is a great scene, very powerful. Why not? We see some of the truth of what Odo thought back in the day. Why not just accept the occupation? It's been there for 50 years. It's going to be there for another 50 years. Why even bother? All they're doing is disrupting the natural order of things, the rule of law. And we see that back in the day, Odo was a founder. And yeah, I mean that as an insult. And so does Odo. And that's the point. That Odo acknowledges that. That Odo hates himself for that. That he's just trying... No, you, you don't understand. This is horrible. And there's this great bit. Your job is to find the truth, not to seek conviction. You know, and then Thrax, past Odo, gives this wonderful line, and I wrote it down. Only the, it is my observation that only the guilty make that kind of statement. And Odo's reaction to that is just to recoil. Because Odo thinks he is guilty. Because he is guilty. There's a great shot where past Odo is actually shown as past Odo, dispassionately looking on as the three are murdered. That says all that it really needs to right there. This doesn't mean anything to him. If anything, he's just pissed off that he had to deal with this. Not because he cared about lives, because he didn't. He cared about systems back then. He hadn't connected with any individual back then. Only the concepts. 
he hadn't developed to that point. It wasn't until much later that he would start actually interacting with and connecting with individuals and start to, to put it bluntly, develop as his own individual. See, that's why I still like this episode, despite everything. Despite the premise, despite the wasted time, despite some meandering. The core character stuff of Odo really being forced to face the fact that once upon a time, he was a founder. And the knowledge of what that should mean to him. It doesn't even have to be spoken. Why would it have to be? He knows that as well as we do. It's good stuff, and I really like it. I hope you've enjoyed. My throat's been slowly giving out as I've been talking here, so... I'll see you guys next time.